And I'm so delighted to be here with you. What a great honor. Thank you, elders, for inviting me. I can't wait to get to share this with you. Uh, open your Bibles. Isaiah. It's Christmas. Advent is here. The first Sunday of Advent. We've lit the candle of hope. And now we're going to get to see it. Before we do that, let me pray. Father, I, I pray that you would bless these words that I've written. Uh, they're feeble. They're, they're not going to do the job on their own. But I want to show this congregation the hope and the beauty of Jesus. And your spirit can do that. That's what he does. So use even, even my stuff right now to bring light to this world, to this community right here, and hopefully the larger world. Be with these words, please, and be with our ears that we would hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isaiah, chapter, well, we're going to talk about chapter 9, but I want you to look at chapter 8, verse 22, just to bounce off of for a second. 8.22. It says, and they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Best Christmas text ever, isn't it? darkness and gloom and distress and thrust into utter darkness. That can, but in order for us to truly understand the hope that comes with Christmas, we have got to be able to sit in the hopelessness too, the darkness. We've got to see the world that they were in and how they were feeling. So in order to feel the joy of the light that is all around of us, we've got to sit in darkness. And you know the darkness, don't you? You know that feeling of darkness, the horrors that life has to offer. No one here has escaped the things that have happened out there in the world, the loneliness, the pain, the hopelessness of the dark. And sometimes, don't holidays make it worse? Those of you who have struggled with like real tangible losses when the holidays come around and that person isn't here anymore, or, or there's so many people trying to lighten the world at Christmas, and you just want to, like, no, I, I don't feel that all the time. And I know you're trying to feel it. We do all these things to try to feel it, don't we? To bring the lights back on as we sit in the darkness. We finally make it to the Christmas season, and somebody, you know there's a Scrooge in your life that said you have to wait till after Thanksgiving to play the music, right? And if you don't know that there's one of those Scrooges, it's probably you, it's me, I, I, like, not till Thanksgiving. And so we, like, we want the light to come on a little bit more. So we start playing the Christmas music. That's, that's the goal. And, the, and then we put the lights on the tree and we put the lights on the house and it has Santa and reindeer or whatever. Anything to lighten the mood and, and we're busying ourselves. Those of you who are, who are smart enough to start now buying Christmas presents, right? You're getting, and you're getting in the, in the spirit of the holiday, right? Anything to, to shut out all the things that are happening in the Mideast or in Ukraine or, or down the road or in a family that you know. We want something to give us this light, but we know the darkness. We live in it so much. 
I thought I would use this as a little bit of a metaphor to get us started in thinking about this darkness. Instead of thinking about the people that we've lost or, or the struggles that we're having with finances or, or the job or all those things, I was thinking that, uh, darkness. I was trying to think, what, what darkness? And, and I used to be quite the, the explorer in my youth. Um, I went to we got lights for that one. Okay. Um, we, I, I, going into, I used to go into these caves. Anybody done any like cave exploring? Spelunking is the technical word. I'm not talking about like Luray Caverns kind of, or, you know, like where you go in and there's lights and you can play the stalactites or stalagmites. I don't know which one, I, whatever, right? I'm talking about like real cave exploring where you hike up a hill for a couple of miles and you enter into this, this deep hole into the ground and you, and you have a backpack on with batteries and different kinds of lights and you've got your, you've got your headgear. You guys, you guys know the, the headgear, right? You're ready for this, right? And, and you're going, because... It's dark, really dark. You've got a rope, a hundred-foot rope, because you're planning on you're planning on caving down into what's called Hell's Hole. Okay, this isn't Brady's Cave in Tennessee, where I used to go a lot, right? So you're you're going down this cave, this thing. So me and me and some friends, I took in a group of maybe uh, I don't know what, probably twenty different kids. Kids, we were tw- in our twenties, so we're not really kids. But we're going into this cave, and, we, and we've ent- we've gone down into this. And everybody, nobody had been in this cave before. Everyone's new to this. I'd been in it before. I had a map of the cave, but you know how maps work when you have a one-dimensional map of a cave that's three-dimensional, right? And and walls that are thick, and nobody really knows. It's just kind of drawn, so it gives you a little bit of an idea. But I'd been in there before. So we'd gone in several, um, several hours worth into this cave. We are heading to this waterfall that's in there that I'd seen. It's just gorgeous, this huge chasm that goes straight down in this waterfall. And you can just sit there. But we weren't anywhere close to it at this point. And we stopped for lunch, and we took our bags out and stuff. And I finished lunch pretty quick, and I grabbed the other guy, one of the other leaders, and I said, let's, let's, just, let's just mess around for a little bit. So, so we leave the group, and they're all sitting there. And, you know, we turn off the lights in the dark, and you're just like, you can sing hymns together and stuff. Because you know you got the light. You can turn on the light at any time and everything's fine. But there's no light, no light at all in here. So we're, we're going around corners and up and crawling over things and going through things and, and doing all this stuff. And we're like, okay, let's head back, right? And so we start to go back. And you can probably imagine, we, I don't know which way to go back. The, the group can't be that far away. We'd only been gone for five or six minutes. But you can't, as soon as you go around a corner in a cave, you can't hear people anymore. The walls are thick, and, and, and it's just, you can't scream. Nobody can hear you scream. It's, it's, it's a little bit scary out there. And so we're like, okay, no, no reason to panic at this point. You know, we've got our lights. We've got everything that we need. And so we'll start going down every different possible corridor that we can go down. And so, you know, we're going, you know, army crawl down this corridor, and we, like, get smaller and smaller. And we're like, okay, this is, this is obviously not the way we came in because I can't go any further. And we back out of the cave all the way out. And then I, what I use the map for at this point is I just rip off pieces of the map and put it in that spot. Don't go back down there. That's the wrong way. And so I'm doing this all over the place. And, and after probably an hour, we realize there's nowhere else to put a piece of paper. I, I, don't, I have no idea which way to go. We found this one spot, this place that we could go over this huge room, huge room, like football-sized room, like not football, but football stadium-sized room. And, and, but it was like straight down. And there's no way to get down there. And so but there was this way that we could go across this room and we could, we could straddle this thing and, and walk across and hope that something was on the other side. And so my friend decided he was going to go do that. I was going to sit. Honestly, I'm starting to panic. Okay, you know that? I don't, I don't know if you know that moment when the panic's starting to... 
I'm not going to get out of here. I'm going to die in a cave. My wife is on the other side somewhere. She's probably three minutes away. I can't get to her. I have no idea. So I'm starting to panic. So I'm just going to sit. I sit. I turn off my light, just sitting in the dark. He's going. I mean, he's been gone for 10 seconds and I can't hear him. He's gone. And I'm sitting there for what seemed like hours, probably minutes. Okay. And nothing. I'm not hearing from him. I'm yelling down the corridor. Nothing. So many minutes go by and finally I hear him screaming for me. Okay, he's screaming at the top of his lungs, I assume, and I can hear it faintly. And I hear him finally, he says, my light's out. <laughs> so he's over this room, and he's got to straddle in a certain way in the pitch black. So I've got my light, I'm turning it on, I'm shining it down the chasm, hoping that he can see any little, any little hint of light. You know that moment when you just need any, any little piece of light, just give me something, God. Just give me something. And he was able to see it, and he was able to get back. And, and just in case anyone's worried, we did get out of the cave eventually. Okay, I, we escaped. But it was a long time. It was, it was just a, a manner of the way we came in. We had to actually go upside down, down this thing. It was, it was uh, weird anyway. But we got out. All this time, though, I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there in the cave, okay, waiting for him. When he came back, his light's out. Now, normally that's not a big deal because I got my backpack, I got new batteries, I got flashlights, but I left them because we were just going to mess around. I just left them with my friends, my wife, three minutes away probably. And we're sitting there and my light's flickering. Now his light's completely out, my light's flickering, I got nothing. We're sitting there and then we're sitting there pitch black. We thought we couldn't get out before. Now there's no possible way of us getting out. And there's, you think panic, like there's, we don't have any idea what to do at this point. Okay, and then I remembered. I remembered in my pocket, I had one of those little pens. You know those pens that sometimes you go out to the car and you can shine it at night and so you can find the keyhole to put it in there? Just a tiny little thing. Littlest of lights. You know what happens when you have the littlest light in pitch black? hope. There's some kind of hope, and we were able to figure out and climb down and do all that stuff. And I, again, I turned the corner three minutes away. My wife's standing there. I gave her a huge hug. She's like, I didn't even know you were gone, right? Like, like it was, it, but I was like, I'm never going to let go of you again. And she's like, get away from me, old man. I've got stuff to do, right? So we're, heading to the, we're heading down to the chasm, right? You know, so anyway, th- this, is, this is what it is. And that darkness, that darkness until you get that light. And this, this is what we're reading in 822, then they will see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Darkness and hopelessness. Now, here's what's happening in Isaiah. A lot of people read Isaiah because we know it's about Jesus, right? And, and Isaiah, is, if you're going to preach an Advent series, you're either going to do Luke chapter 2, maybe Matthew chapter 1, or you're going to do Isaiah, Isaiah is the place, right? I mean, it's got all those cool verses about Jesus coming and all that stuff. But if you don't understand the politics, if you don't understand what's going on in the government at that time, the history, I know, politics, ah, right? In a sermon, we should never do politics. But you don't know what's going on in Isaiah, why Isaiah comes to King Ahaz to begin with, why all of these great promises come. You're missing everything. So here's Judah. Judah is this, this small country here. If I had my whiteboard, I'd be, I'd be writing the small country. It's split from Israel. At one point, it was one big monarchy, but it's split now, and Israel is north, and Judah's down here. And this is where King Ahaz is. He's in, he's in Judah. And above him is this other country, Syria, right here. 
And then over here in the northeast is the empire of Assyria. Okay, so we've got Assyria and Syria. You think they'd name them differently just to help us out, but no, they're, they're pretty much the same name. Assyria and Syria, or Aram. Some of your Bibles might say Aram here for Syria. And what's happening is this empire, Assyria, it, like all empires, it's expanding. So its armies are moving, and they're conquering people, and they're getting their taxes, and they're making their world better and better, and others worse and worse. Well, sometimes better and better. It just depends. Okay, but Assyria is this, in their mind, this evil place. But you know, Judah, way down here, isn't super worried about it because it's going to be a long time before Assyria gets there. What Judah's worried about are these other two countries in between, Syria and Israel. Because Syria and Israel have made this deal. They call it the Syrio-Ephraimite coalition, okay, which is just a, a coalition between Syria, Syrio, and Ephraim, or Israel. They're going to make this agreement, and the agreement is we're going to take out Judah so that we can get these armies and military, and we can get all the wealth of that. That will help us fight against us, Syria. So Judah's not afraid of us, Syria. He's afraid of these other two places, right? And so Isaiah comes on the scene when Ahaz is like, what's going to happen with the Syria-Ephraimite coalition? They're going to conquer us. What's going to happen? And, and so Isaiah comes in and says, listen to me, don't worry. Ask God for a sign and everything will be okay. Okay, now, unfortunately, Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do that kind of stuff. And, and Ahaz instead decides to get on the phone to Assyria. Okay, the enemy. So he's, you know, just, right? He's, ten number, he's probably speed dot. I don't know, right? He calls up, he calls up this, this emperor there, and he says, we need your help. Now, if you know anything about the Bible at this point, you know, this is not a good move. You don't call your enemies and ask for help, right? Don't trust in your chariots or horses or other people's chariots and horses. You trust in the name of the Lord our God. And Isaiah the prophet has come and said, ask God for a sign. And he says, no. And so Isaiah says, well, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And this is the passage that you all know so well, Isaiah 7, 14. Here's the sign. A virgin, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, because God is with us. It's a symbol. By the way, I don't have time to tell you this is not a prophecy about Jesus. This is a prophecy about a king who is coming very soon. Okay? Actually, it's probably a prophecy about a child who's going to be born in the next couple of years. If you keep reading in chapter 7, you're going to see what's happening here. Right? By the time you get to chapter 8, you're going to see who this child actually is. Think about this for just a second. Oh, great. It's distracting everybody. This is not the way to win a congregation to your... All right, whose joke was this anyway? Is it off? It can, can, I'm okay now? It was like, please put this person out of his misery. We cannot understand. We can't follow the politics. All we care about is this black face that he's got. Okay. Thank you. Very nice. I have no idea how to get back into this now, but let's just turn the page. I think I'm on page two or three anyway at this point. Okay, so... The promise is that this child will be born, and before the child, keep reading into chapter 8, before the child is old enough to say mama or papa, what is that, probably about a year old, 
It depends on the child, of course. But within the next year or so, and of course, a virgin shall conceive. Virgin just is the word alma. It just means young woman. A young woman will have a child. Okay, it's not a prophecy of anything magical happening, mystical happening. This child will be born, and within the nine months that it takes gestation, plus the year or so, within two years or so, God says, I'm going to take care of this Assyrian problem or this Israel and Syria problem, really. I'm going to take care of it. And in chapter 8, you're going to see the child is born. This is like if you're in Bible trivia time, this child is born. It's the longest name in the Bible. His name is Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Okay, just, you can just follow along if you want to see what are, where I'm heading. I'm just trying to give you the big picture here. By the time this child is old enough to say mama or papa, I'll, I'll solve the problem. Okay? So it's not a promise of something that's going to happen half a millennia from now when Jesus is born. How is that helpful to anybody? Here, Ahaz, let me just tell you. Here's the deal. Just trust me. About five, six hundred years from now, something's going to happen that will clarify all of this. And you're like, I really would like to live now. Right? That it's a promise for now. Something that's happening right now. Okay, so, but, but God is disappointed in Ahaz because he hasn't asked for a sign and because the people have abandoned God, and so we get to the end of chapter 8. That's all the context so that you can read 8.22. Well, 21, actually. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they're famished, they will become enraged, and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they'll be thrust into utter darkness. And that's when we get to chapter 9. All of that was to get us to chapter 9. Okay, because this chapter 9 is where there's this turn, this glorious, beautiful turn. Verse 1, nevertheless, after the distress, darkness, and, and doom, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness. Now you start to remember this stuff. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I don't know how great this light was, but it, I, can, I can think of myself sitting in that cave and that little tiny ding, hope. That light was like the biggest light in the world. Like the sun. It's a, it's a promise of something. There's this light seems to have dawned. They've seen this great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Light has dawned. There's light. From the shadow of death to this great light, the light has come in. That cave, boom, here's the light. You've enlarged, verse 3, you've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. By the way, that candle's coming, isn't it? The candle of joy, rejoicing, is coming. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, I'm on chapter 9, verse 4, as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Basically, God is saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to destroy Assyria, just as Gideon destroyed the Midianites. And it's super clear when you get to chapter 10, the Lord Almighty, this is chapter 10, verse 26, the Lord Almighty will lash them with the whip as when he struck down Midian at the rock of Oreb, and he'll raise his staff over the waters as he did in Egypt. You remember that with Moses. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke 
from your neck. So God is going to war, and he's going to bring peace to his people, Judah. Even though Ahaz said, no, I don't, I'm not going to ask for something. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring you this peace. Your burden will be lifted. All will be well. A light is dawning in darkness. Hope in the midst of this exilic darkness. God will return when his presence was so absent. And how will this happen? How will God return? It's the next verse. Verse nine, verse six. For unto us a child is born. This light. Christmas story, finally, from the distress and darkness and gloom. Now we've finally gotten to the Christmas story, right? You told us Isaiah 7, 14 wasn't a Christmas story. So this is it. Here it is. Wonderful counselor, right? Almighty God, everlasting Father, Prince. We're all singing it together. The son is given to us. The government will be upon his shoulder. He, he read it right here as he, as he lit all this stuff. Everyone is singing Handel's Messiah together. Everybody's rejoicing, glorious. We all know this Christmas story, Right? What a joy to be able to be a part of this. But it's so not what we think it is. If we want to be true to the text, which I hope we do, right? we don't want to just grab things for our own, whatever we think might be. We want to, we want to say, what is, what is Isaiah? Why is this author writing this? What is he trying to do for the people living in Judah? And you think, wait, wait Pastor Jace, we don't know you. We don't trust you. <laughs> totally honest here. I, we don't know exactly what you're And we know this text is about Jesus. I mean, it's very clearly about Jesus, right? Wonderful. Jesus is wonderful. It's very clear. Counselor. Oh, we, the Holy Spirit is called a counselor. We know this from the New Testament. Paul talks about it, right? Mighty God. Come on. Who else could possibly be called mighty God other than Jesus, everlasting Father? We had Jesus, we had the Holy Spirit as the counselor, now we got the everlasting Father, Jace. Really? I mean, it's obviously Jesus and Prince of Peace. I mean, Michael W. Smith does a song about it. Pretty much everyone does a song about Prince of Peace, and it's all referring to Jesus. We know this is about Jesus, but that's what happens when we read this text too quickly. A child simply means, a, a, a son in this case, simply means that a male child will be born who is going to be the king, who's going to be the ruler, a son of God to be sure, but not in the sense that we think of this. It doesn't mean that he's divinity himself that's coming down. Son of, a son of man is simply referring to the, the one who is king, a son of God. Son, lots of people in the Old Testament are called sons of God. They're, they're the kings. They're the people who are made in his special image. There's something special about this king. A wonderful counselor is not, it, it doesn't mean like somebody, you know, this is not someone sitting down in, in a shrink having a conversation with you or counseling you. This is, this is actually, and it's not wonderful counselor, Handel kind of got that wrong. It's a wonderful counselor. He's, he's a really good counselor, and, but don't think of counselor as I'm going to get counseling. Think of counselor as in a war setting. We just read, I've given you the politics of all of this. This is a war that's going on. A counselor is, is a strategist. It's someone who gives them the plans. All right, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go in straight ahead. I'm going to have somebody come flanking around to the right, right? It's a strategist. This, this is what this wonderful counselor is. It's, it's not about the Holy Spirit being the paraclete. None of, that's, none of that's very understood back then. 
And mighty God, you're like, well, it's got to be mighty God. No, not, uh, mighty God is just the words El Gabor. It just means um, a brave warrior. Again, lots of people are called this. This isn't a solitary name just for this one person named Jesus. In fact, Jesus is not, he's not even really going to take that name. Everlasting Father, well, it's got to be everlasting, right? Eternal. Everlasting is, is just a word for, uh, for a way that it's, it's going to happen for, forever and ever. It's, it's a dynasty. He's going to be the father of, of this, this new kingdom. Somebody will always be on this throne, his son and his son and his son. And a prince of peace just means in that order of things where you get the council and then you are the brave warrior, the fighter, and then you are the, um, the, uh, the dynastic leader. Then finally, of course, we bring peace to this land, a prince of peace. This is most likely referring to Hezekiah at that time, the king who will come and will bring peace and all these things. It's talking about a king, one who can deliver them from darkness when all of their enemies are around them and it's hopeless and dark and they're crying out for help in this darkness that's been overwhelming, but this light, as they turn the corner, this light that has dawned, a king is coming who would put everything back to rights. That's what they're waiting for. And if you continue to read through the prophets, keep reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, keep reading through the 12, you're going to see that this darkness never fully goes away. Even as Hezekiah comes in and does some wonderful things and other kings will come in, you're going to find that the kings aren't really following God the way they want, the way they are intended to. You're going to find that after hundreds of years, there is a sense in which they're still living in this darkness. Decades will pass, centuries will pass, things won't get better. The Assyrian Empire will become the Babylonian Empire, and it's still an empire, and it still has the foot on the necks of Israel and Judah, well, Judah at that point. And then, and, and then it's going to be given over to a Greek empire. And then uh, even though there's a periods of peace under the Hasmonean and the, the Maccabees as they, they come together, but nothing is ever right, and the Greek Empire becomes the Roman Empire, and it keeps, hap- keeps going in this darkness and this hopelessness. They've been waiting for someone to come, someone anointed by God Himself who would bring them out of the darkness. And it's only then, it's only after you've gone through the whole text of Isaiah and understand what it's doing in the prophets and the whole story, the narrative of Scripture, it's only then that you can see that this piece of history, which is a slice in there, and we need to keep it in its context, is actually speaking perhaps about something even larger. It's actually a picture of something that is still to come. Only after you get that do you hear the story of someone walking over the hill the sun shining in the background, the wind blowing through his hair. I have like a movie-addled brain. I always have to picture it in my head. As Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, crests the hill. I can see him coming and I can hear the song, Handel's Messiah. Now it's playing for real. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This man, Jesus, he comes with a strategy, a plan for how he is going to take back the world. How he is going to once again show that I am king over everything. He's got a plan, and he comes as, he, as he's walking through towns. You see him doing these incredible things as El Gabor, as mighty warrior. You out of, you, you demons out of this person. See, be still, you 
be raised from the dead as He fights the powers of darkness all around Him. Everlasting Father, we're told that the throne of Jesus will always be full. He's been crowned King forever and ever, and we are called, Paul says, to rule with Him in the heavenlies. Even now, this is not something for the future, even now we are doing this, and Prince of Peace, Shalom. From David to Solomon, Shalom, the King of Peace. Jesus is our complete King of Peace, the hope in the hopelessness. Oh, friend, the child was born. And the government was on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful. He was called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we can see that light shining, and we can hear Handel's Messiah in the background. And yet, with all of this good news on the first Sunday of Advent, because that is truly good news, this is the gospel, right? The King has come. Yet with all of this good news, we still feel the darkness, don't we? All that stuff that I started off with is still there. If Jesus has come and He's conquered the darkness on the cross, and the New Testament makes that very clear, if the gospel is found in the coming of Jesus, the death on the cross, the victory over the powers, and the resurrection and the ascension, if all of that is real, and it so is, why do we get depressed and lonely and angry and hurt and hopeless. And that's, I'm not really, that's not a rebuke. It's, why? Why does this happen to us? It does happen to us. Good Christians. Why do we feel like there's no warmth from light on so many days, not just when it's pretty yucky outside? Why do we feel that we're still in the darkness, still in the exile? And you in Presbyterian churches know that even though the king has come already, there is a sense in which it is not yet. There's a sense in which this, this world and, and being right isn't quite there yet. He comes to light up the world. He came and he lit up the world. But the truth is that not everyone wants a lit up world. I got to be honest, not even I always want a lit up world. I don't always feel this. Yes, John, I know the true light that gives light to everyone came into the world. I know, yes, I know Jesus. You say you're the light of the world. In him we have the light of life. I get it. But John 3 also gives the other side. Light has come into the world, but, but people love the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And so the darkness continues, at least in part. I mean, it's out there, right? The darkness is out there, but, but I, I don't want to be that kind of pastor. Oh, the darkness is out there. You guys are good. No, the reality is the darkness is right here, right? We aren't victims of the world. Oh, they're so beautiful. We, we, bring, we, we bring the darkness. It's, it's right here. In, it's right here. There's darkness in us. We don't like to shine the light always, do we? 
And still, while we're called, while, while we shy away from that light sometimes, we are called and we know, congregation of Christ, we know it is our job to be a light to the nations, to shine that light everywhere we go. We are not people of hopelessness. We are people of hope. And so we hear this anew. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Have you seen that light? On those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. Remember, friends, this child came, and he defeated the darkness and death, and we get to be part of his wrap-up team. We get to enter with him and stomp, stomp out this darkness in our life and in our church so that the light shines beautifully for all to see, so they know that the gospel is truly good news, because the gospel, even though it means good news, doesn't even feel like good news most of the time. And we need to show them that it brings joy into the life. In battle, we get to fight along this strategist and this brave, this El Gabor, this warrior, and this, this, this dynastic bringer, dynasty bringer, and in him as the prince of peace, we get to go right along with all of that. So in, in your darkness, which you're probably going to have over the Christmas season because things happen, remember the light. Remember what we do this for? That seems so cliche. Remember, Jesus is the reason for the season. But remember the light, that He came to scare away the darkness and our fear about the future. Look to that candle of hope. We have a hope, congregation of Christ. In our frustration, look to that candle of peace, which you're going to talk about soon. In our depression, look to that candle of joy, which will come soon. And in our family bitterness, the things that are going on around us, look to that candle of love, that light, that Jesus is the light. He's come. This is not simply something we're waiting for. He has come and brings light to the world. And later in John's letter, he's going to tell us that we should walk in the light as he is in the light. And, and this would be a good time for us to all like have candles and start, but I'm guessing you're going to do that on Christmas Eve or something like that, pass the light. Right. That, that, would be the, that would be the time for this. But you know, you know what lights the world? I mean, obviously you are supposed to go out and light the world. But this, this is where the Holy Spirit comes in some mystical way I can't even fully explain to you. He comes with this bread and this juice that represents His body and His blood, Jesus' body and blood. And we break this body and we drink this blood together in remembrance of what has happened as He has put an end to the darkness. As we think back to that moment on the cross and we look forward <laughs> to that beautiful moment when He returns, we eat this in remembrance of Him. When I came in this morning, I, uh, I met Nathan for the first time, and I told him, uh, I, have, I have four new songs that you're going to need to do. Sorry, um, I don't know what you've prepared for. He was just like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, I know you're kidding. <laughs> Please don't do that to me right now, right? Um, 
But one of the songs I was like, oh, I wish, why did I not do this? And you probably know this song. And his songs were phenomenal. They, they said everything I needed them to say. But there's this song that you guys know, In the Darkness. It starts, in the darkness we were waiting. Do you know this one? We were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. And it continues on to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. I won't sing anymore. To redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross. And the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till the stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of those who'd come to the Father were restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. That's what's happening. I mean, it happened 2,000 years ago with Pentecost, but it's still happening. This is a relighting. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom, I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. This meal is for those who have been resurrected by the King, who have risen with him. I, I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't know if you're part of this church or you're a visitor. You've come in from the outside. You don't know anything about this. This, this meal is a, is a special meal to those who are in Christ. Now, we could do this meal in a lot of different ways, or maybe not this meal. We could have a, a great banquet. I know you guys are big into that, right? We could have a great banquet where we, we spread out a table with shrimp and prime rib and all these wonderful things and say, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's for everyone. But what we say here is there is a sense in which this is for everyone. That is, we want you to come and join, but only once you've met the Savior. This is one of those meals that is for the body of Christ. And so I'm going to ask if, if you're here and, and you don't know this Jesus yet, oh, please talk to me, talk to Nathan, talk to any of the others about this. And they, they would love to come and tell you more about this. That, that's, that's the big plan is that you see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done for us. But if, if you don't know him yet, don't, don't take of this. Just, just, it's okay. You can just stay where you're at. But we're going to ask you guys, I think you know what you're doing better than I know what you're doing at this point, right? Um, a couple of people are going to come up and they're going to stand up here, your elders, and they're going to give this and they're going to, they're going to hold this in their hand. Well, you're, going to, you're going to hold it in your hand and you're going to open this up and it's gluten-free so everybody's okay. You're going to open it up and you're going to take this in your hand and they're going to say, the body of Christ, given for you, broken for you, the blood poured out for your salvation, the body broken for you. What a great joy that we have. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do something. I think I was allowed to do this. I think Kim said, I, I can do this if I want. If you would just take this back with you, and can we just do it together? at the end. Is that all right? We'll just all do it together, and I'll bring us together around Scripture again in just a second. But if you, I think you know you come to the middle aisle, come up to the front. So my two, whoever my two are, this is your time. This is, this is your call right here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for us as they're coming up here, and then I assume you'll know what to do next. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of a church, for this Holy Spirit who has lit the flame and is moving the people of God right now. And I pray as they come humbly, 
that you would make them in this powerful move a light to the nations. Lord, forgive them of their sins. Forgive me, please, all of us. We need your power in us, and we're so grateful for what Jesus did on the cross in breaking of his body, pouring out his blood for us. In Jesus' name we pray.